Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. I'll be reading today from the book of Acts, and we're going to be reading uh, chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So maybe you can identify with this uh, in in Christian circles, sometimes we get excited when we find out somebody else is a Christian. And I'm, I'm specifically thinking about like a celebrity or like a baseball player. It's like you're watching TV and, and the first baseman in a major league team, it's like they're, they're Christian and somebody like el- elbows you and they're like, hey, like, did you know they're Christian? And it's like this little thing that, that we do. You know, what, what does the word Christian mean to you? Or perhaps if you hear somebody say, I'm not Christian anymore, you know, what, what do you think they mean? Or what types of questions do you have? Now, sometimes we add extra qualifiers to this word Christian. Like, we'll, we'll specify, I'm a biblical Christian. I'm an Orthodox Christian. I'm an Evangelical Christian. Or we even go with our denominations. I'm Baptist. I'm Presbyterian. And so on and so on. And so like many other religions and and other traditions out there, Christianity has so many expressions. And this is something we we celebrate, that that the gospel message can move and go and grow in all these different types of cultures. And it's, it's amazing how the gospel can set up shop and it can take on these these unique expressions. But of course, the dark side of that is sometimes these expressions have a lot of mixture of, of a ton of other things in there. And so in academic studies, in scholarly studies, sometimes the, the scholars, they have to like sit down, slow down, and they need to find a, a sorting mechanism to help define and describe what exactly we mean when we talk about this term Christian. For instance, there's a, an author and pastor who helps give a breakdown of the word Christian, and he gives at least 11 different ways that people understand 
the word Christian. So I'm going to just run through them real quick and then maybe briefly talk about them. Uh, But Christianity is understood culturally, institutionally, doctrinally, pragmatically, spiritually, moralistically, missionally, demographically, politically, socially, linguistically. That's a lot. All right. That's a lot. So so culturally, what what does that mean? It's something that you're born into. You're born into a, a Christian family, and it's, it's like the air that you breathe, okay? Institutionally, you know, to be, to be Christian, it's, it's understood that you are a part of an institution, and you accept its organization, you accept its authority. It's understood doctrinally. To be Christian means you affirm, you, 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 you hold on to a certain set of beliefs, Pragmatically, okay, that, that means like you understand Christianity in terms of rituals, rhythms, practices. Some people understand Christianity uh, as, a, as a spiritual thing. You know, you've, you've had a co- convertive experience. Uh, it, it is a heart religion. It's an experience. Moralistically, meaning there's, there's morals and, and values and ethical framework with Christianity. Missionally. You see a movement of, of God. It, it's a movement that you identify with. Demographically, like your ethnicity, your ethnic identity helps establish your Christian identity here. Like if you're from Latin America, perhaps, you know, your Latin culture comes with a Christian flair. It can be understood politically. You can be organized for political action. Christianity can be understood socially. It's a, there, there's a, a group, you have a sense of belonging and, and safety and welcoming. It, it's, it's where you are, um, you are protected by the group. And finally, linguistically, it's where you just, you share a, a certain set of words and ways of communi- excuse me, communicating. And so that was a lot right there. Okay. And let me just tell you, like, that's the heaviest part of today's message. And so what I want to do is put that out there and let you understand and see that scholars understand the word Christian in a bunch of different ways, okay? And now, let let me put myself into that. So, So I was born into a Christian family, and so I get that cultural piece of it. I work for an institution. I belong to an institution. There's doctrines and teachings that I affirm. There's rituals and, and practices I participate in, like Christmas Eve and Easter and things like that. I've had spiritual experiences, and so Christianity is spiritual for me. I'm welcomed by a group. All right, and I could go on and on and on. There's pieces of me and all of these understandings of Christianity. But again, let's let's put all of that behind us now. <laughs> and we understand scholars might have to break down this word Christian in order to some things. But for us today, let's keep it simple. Let's just ask, hey, what did this word originally mean? So for us today, we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to find out where this term comes from. Perhaps when we understand Christian in its original use, maybe today we can just be refreshed. We can simply embrace with joy this amazing word, Christian. Today is of, of identity and story.
And as we explore this word Christian, we need to go to the book of Acts, chapter 11. And we're taking a look at verses 19 to 26 today. So let me, let me just uh, say a prayer and we'll get, get right into it. Dear Lord, help me to speak. Help me to speak clearly. Help us to hear clearly today. Give us a vision of you. May we step into your story, your identity. Wrap us up today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so jumping right into it here. In verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Well, Paul's right there. Who's Stephen? Well, we have to go back to Acts chapter 7 real quick. Stephen was a Christ follower, and he was accused of blasphemy. And long story short, he was martyred. He was killed. He was put down by Jewish authorities. And so, if you have been tracking with Plymouth Meeting Church over the last number of weeks here, we've been exploring the values of the early church. And we've seen this, this early infant church, the ancient church, was this beautiful form of, of fellowship and community. And they did life together and they worshiped together and they ate together and they shared everything. It was a beautiful display, a beautiful expression of what the church can look like. But then what happened? Well, one of the things that happened is we have this external force called persecution. And persecution is, is going after the, the church. And so we see Stephen, he gets killed. And actually people scatter because of the persecution. And so these Jesus followers, they, they scatter and they travel as far as Phoenicia. Okay, that's the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They go all the way to Cyprus. That's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And they go up north to Antioch. And that is in southern modern day Okay, so these were Jerusalem Jesus believers, and now they're scattering. But you know, when when people scatter, they they take their cultural baggage, they take their religious baggage with them, they're taking their beliefs with them, and wherever they go, they spread the message of Jesus, the risen Jesus. But you have to notice in Acts chapter eleven, they're only spreading the news to other Jews. So these are Jewish believers speaking to other Jews in all these different areas. So what's really cool here is that Jesus started this thing in rural Galilee, you know, the, the backwaters of, of Galilee. And he moved around a little bit and, and he went to the city. He was in Jerusalem. But now the Jesus message is going way further than Jesus ever did. But the caveat for now is this. The gospel was only spreading amongst Jewish believers. And so we have to take a look at verse 20 now. Verse 20 is huge. It says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also. And they were telling them the news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The story of Jesus is getting out. The gospel is on the move. It's going to places and, and spaces where people are looking and acting way less Jewish and a whole lot more Greek. Verse 20 is huge. 
if you're a fan of marking up your Bible, like circle verse 20 or even just write, like this is huge. Like this is a huge turning point in scripture here. Because we don't even know their names. It's just like a, a group of guys, a group of Jesus guys. They decide to go to Antioch and they're going to share this gospel message about the risen Messiah. They're sharing it with non-Jewish people. They're sharing, them with, sharing Jesus with Greeks. And so let's talk about Antioch here. Antioch. Ancient Antioch is in southern modern-day Turkey. For a quick backstory, it was founded 300 years uh, before Jesus. Uh, a, a Greek uh, general who worked with Alexander the Great, he's the one who built this city. And he named the city after his dad. So, happy Father's Day, Dad. Here's a city I'm naming after you. And so it sits on the Arantes River. And it's a wealthy city at this point. It's a trade city. Highways pass through here. Trade routes run through here. It is the crossroads of the ancient world. The crossroads of the ancient world. And it had a dense population. And as people come and go from, from all over the place, you know, they're passing through Antioch. Maybe some of them are staying around. We just find this city that has a diversity of cultures and different languages, traders and travelers passing through. And we know that Antioch was a little bit more religiously open than other parts of the Roman Empire. And so you might find some old school Greek religion there, maybe some country pagan cult religions. And we know that the Hebrew faith was there too. Nearby is the Temple of Daphne. And long story short, this, this uh, Daphne worship, this, this, uh, this pagan worship, like th- we would call this an immoral city. All right? it's, it's luring, it's corrupt, okay? You know, for those who, who want to stay pure, right, Antioch is like Sin City, okay? So, like, it, it is just a hustling and bustling town. There's a lot going on. It is an important city in the ancient world. Now, I want you to do a, a, a thought exercise with me here. Um, if you think of Jerusalem as, like, the center of faith, okay, and then Rome is the center of power, In Alexandria, the center of knowledge, they had libraries and education there. If you draw three circles, like a Venn diagram, like Jerusalem, Rome, and Alexandria, faith, power, and knowledge, if we overlap these circles, what Antioch makes the perfect place where these values and cultures can meet up. Faith, power, and knowledge. Again, there's diversity here. So in summary, Antioch is diverse, it's multicultural, multilingual. Compared to other cities, it is more religiously open and tolerant. And so up until this point in time, the initial Jesus followers, they were mostly a homogenous group. You know, they they, they kind of all looked and sounded the, the same. But then these Jesus guys go to Antioch and they start preaching Jesus to the city. And now who knows what kinds of people are coming to faith in Jesus. In verse 22, it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And so down in Jerusalem, they might be thinking, what is going on in Antioch? 
Maybe they're curious. Maybe they're skeptical. And so they send Barnabas. Verse 23, when Barnabas arrives, he sees, he sees the grace of God there. And he was glad. And Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Good stuff is happening. And Barnabas sees this. He sees the grace of God right there in the flesh. It's right there before him. He is seeing Jesus' people in Antioch. And he's encouraging them on. And he says, let's go. Let's keep this going. Something special is happening in this city. The mission is growing. The movement is growing. Now, I just imagine Barnabas. He's strategizing. He's planning. He's leading. He's seeing all these house churches form in Antioch. He's going to need some help. So Barnabas, he decides, he discerns. He needs to go look for Saul. So he goes to Tarsus. It's not immediately close by. It's, he has to travel there. He has to go to Tarsus. He has to find Saul, also known as Paul, and bring him back to Antioch. And so he, he goes to Tarsus. He searches for him. He finally finds him, and he, he brings Paul back to Antioch, and they do ministry together for a whole year. And so if you can recall, if you know Paul's story, he used to be a terrorist of Christians, okay? He used to persecute Jesus believers. But now I imagine that Antioch, with a bunch of different things going on in this city, Antioch is actually a great place for Paul to work. It'd be a safer place than Jerusalem. And so, nourishing the church together in Antioch for an entire year, it says in verse 26 that Barnabas and Paul, they taught great numbers of people. They're introducing people to Jesus. They're, they're teaching them the, the story of the gospel, the risen Christ, the risen Messiah. They're teaching people the ways of Jesus. They're hammering out doctrine. Remember, the, the New Testament doesn't exist yet. They just have the Old Testament. The Old Testament now read in light of Jesus, and they are hammering things out. And then there is this comment in Acts chapter 11. It says the disciples were called Christian first at Antioch. So now we get to talk about this word, Christianas, Christ people, or little, little Christ. Christ is a title, okay? Christ is a title. It's a Greek translation of a Hebrew concept, Messiah. Okay, Christ and Messiah, they mean the same thing. Okay, so let's talk about this Hebrew concept of the Messiah. And I'm going to summarize quickly here. In the beginning of the Bible, the Bible points, the Bible gives this promise that a deliverer, will someday come and crush the head of the snake. That's a Genesis 3 reference. The snake is the devil, evil, and so on. A hero is going to come and take on evil, take on the devil, and rescue humanity. A king 
this Messiah figure is also uh, royalty. The, the, the snake crusher is royalty. A king will come and bring restoration. And all throughout the Old Testament, Old Testament prophets, they, they, they talked about this royal liberator. This Messiah, this kingly anointed one, we eventually find out is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior, the hero. Jesus is the deliverer, the mediator. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is this Messiah that this Old Testament story, the prophecies, the Psalms, it all points to Jesus. And Jesus was here. He is the Son of God. And he, he walked amongst us. And Jesus' story almost ends in extreme tragedy. He's arrested by the powerful religious system of the day. He's executed by the oppressive Roman government. But three days later, the Messiah bursts out of his grave. And everything that is true about Jesus really is true about Jesus. He is who he says he is. And not even death can hold back the Messiah. The reason why we have freedom, the reason why we have forgiveness, is because Jesus is alive. The reason why we are here today is because Jesus is alive. The reason why we have hope is because Jesus is alive. And the Bible gives us this, this hint, it's a promise, He promises that, that someday Jesus Messiah will come back and obliterate evil once and for all. Heaven and earth will be one and everything will be glorious, everything will be at peace. And so to identify with Jesus is to know him and to know it to be true that he is the Messiah, that he is your Messiah. And by God's grace, you actually give your life to Jesus. You give your life to his story to identify with Jesus in such a way as to see that your life belongs to Jesus. You are hitched to the Jesus wagon. And you realize that you don't need to be the master of your own life. You don't need to be the hero of your story. You don't need to be the deliverer of your own story and life. And you say yes to Jesus. You take steps of faith and you move towards Jesus. You say to Jesus and to use the, you, you say yes to Jesus and to use the Bible's language. Your life becomes hidden in the life of Christ. To believe is to come into this new story. And you are given a new identity. One that is completely wrapped up in the Messiah. This, this prophecy, this promise, this person. Your life is wrapped up in the Messiah. Sins are forgiven. Relationship with God is restored. And because you know Jesus, you know God the Father. And that makes you a restored son, a restored daughter of God Most High. Now, God is king and judge and shepherd. Those are sermons for another day. But this relational term father is so fundamental. Because all the benefits of being God's child, it's bestowed to you. And like a loving parent, 
he calls in his children. And so following Jesus, it is a calling in. It is a calling in to your Jesus-shaped identity. A calling into the person that God has made you to be. And so identity is shaped and groomed in this relationship, in this community. It's formed in community and relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with God's people. And so here in ancient Antioch, we see profane and pagan people hearing and responding to the story of the Messiah. Like they have perhaps no idea who David or Moses or Elijah is. Perhaps they are so far away from the Old Testament, but they hear the Jesus story. The gospel is preached to them. And they're learning and they're shaping their lives around Jesus. And they're learning now what it means to be a Jesus person with this new identity as a follower of the risen Messiah. Or to use the Greek translation, Christ. Jesus people are identified followers of the Christ. And so what's interesting here is that the second half of this word Christian, that the, the ending here, excuse me, it comes from Latin. Okay, this the suffix implies that you belong to Jesus. And so in the city that represents the meaning up of the nations, a nickname is given to these Jesus people. It's a nickname that has a Hebrew concept with a Greek translation and a Latin ending. All right? Christian. And most likely, it was a derogative term. It was used in a negative sense. But eventually it caught on. Christian. And so may I submit today, Christian, it's a relational term of identity and story. It means that you are hitched to Jesus. You bear this identity that is beyond your own. And you bear the story of God, the mission of God, that's now threaded through the life of Jesus, who is Christ's Savior and Lord. And think about it. Without story, there is no identity. Some types and forms of amnesia rob people of memories. And when memories are stolen, that leaves them rootless. Without story, there is no identity. And so when we just kind of behold this term Christian, this term of of identity and, and story from eternity past, from the garden, every messianic prophecy, every believer in the Old Testament that looked forward to Jesus, Jesus' life, his, his birth, his life, his ministry, his healings, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his commission to his people to go to all the world, 2,000 years of church history and tradition and history that is yet to happen. Hope and eternity forward to be Christian is the greatest thing ever. And Christianity, the religion, yeah, there's, there's dark moments, there's bumps and bruises. There are things that 
Christianity, Christians need to be repentant of. Christianity, the religion, has also blessed the world in amazing ways. So many good and beautiful things have come, come in the name of Jesus Christ. So in both critique and celebration, in both complaint and compliment, as Christians, I think what we get to do, keeping it simple, we keep coming back. We keep going back to the identity and story of Jesus. That's the calling. That's the calling into. Calling into your identity. The father calling his kids in. Look at my son. Learn from him. He's my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. Come on, kids. Come to Jesus. Come and learn about his identity. Step into his identity Step into his story. Let your story become his story. Learn from Jesus. Love God. Love neighbor. Learn. Learn the life. Learn the ways of Jesus. It's in the name. Christian. Christian. And so it is important that we continue to tell the story. We keep telling the story of Jesus. It's coming up quickly. It's, it's going to be Advent here. Christmas story, right? We're, we're, going to, we're going to retell the story. We're going to keep coming back to the story. Because story and identity, they are so close together. And not only that, we want to make space. We want to create and hold space for others to discover the story and identity of Jesus, who is the risen Christ. And may we all continue to know Christ and make him known. Let's close in prayer.